You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, I think about in the words of that song, Bible says that you formed out of the dust of the earth Adam and Adam you brought Eve this couple stood before you in innocence the Bible says they walked with you and the breath that you breathe into their souls into their bodies that made them alive the same breath that we today give back to you in reverence and adoration of your glory and honor that's due your name. I think of our newest church member, Abel Lewis, Stan and Heidi's little boy this week as his lungs breathe in the first breath of life and he began to cry out And even that cry of a newborn baby is the cry of worship. And we thank you, dear Lord, that you, Lord Jesus, coming out of the womb of Mary, begin to give that breath back in such a way that heavens, that the heavens stood at attention. Because salvation and deliverance, Emmanuel had come to man. You alone are worthy to be praised. And we give all the glory and honor to Jesus, Yeshua, Elohim, Jehovah God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first, and the last. You alone are worthy to be praised. And we pray now, dear Lord, that you continue to speak truth into our hearts through your word and all the glory belongs to you and we pray this in the name of Jesus amen amen I'm going to ask you to remain standing just remain standing and I want you to take your Bibles and we're going to go back to a passage that we we looked at last week Romans chapter 10 verse 9 And I tell you, I thank God for our time of worship. And I just uh, thank the Lord that we are able to do that as a body of believers. You know, last week I asked you to say that, 2016, and, you know, I made this statement. It just seems like one year is gone, another year's coming in. They say that a resolution is in one year and out the other. And boy, there's a lot of truth to that. It just seems like sometimes in our lives that time just seems to be slipping by. It is getting away from us so quickly. Sometimes we think to ourselves, you know, if I could just stop time and hang on to it for a moment. And life's just not that way. We talked about last week this idea of inventory. And we said, you know, in our lives, a lot of times we do 
Uh, we do inventory. Uh, you do it in the retail world, but we also are called, some, I think, sometimes to do that spiritually. We look back over our lives and we begin to determine in all honesty what progress we have made in being conformed into the image of Christ. Because listen, everybody look this way. That is God's goal for your life and my life. That's the only resolution in heaven. God's resolution for your life and for my life as a follower of Christ is to conform us into the image of Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You cannot do that. He cannot do that apart from you and I living under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So turn to your neighbor, turn to somebody, turn around and say, Lordship living. That's right. So Lordship living is critical. Now there's a spiritual principle here that we looked at last week, a spiritual inventory, an honest assessment an evaluation of where you and I are in our individual spiritual journey, pilgrimage, progress is critical to sanctification. In other words, you've heard me say that word a lot of times. The word for holy, hagios, the word for sanctification, hagiosmos. In other words, contained in that word, sanctification, is God's process by which He's conforming us into the image of His Son. He's chipping away everything in your life and in my life that is not holy. He's wanting us to be a holy sacrifice, a vessel. Does that make sense? So, of course, spiritual inventory this time of the year is a good opportunity for you and I to look at our life and to examine the progress that's going on. Am I getting better? Am I becoming more like Christ? Have I slipped back this year and I've lost some ground? Because see, listen, sometimes in our life, and I'm the chaplain at Southern Electric. It's a company of about 400 employees. I do a devotion on Monday mornings at 6.30 in several states to these employees. And I made this statement this past Monday. I said the saddest words that can be heard by a pastor from you and even from me is when we make this statement. Are you listening? Say amen. Amen. When we make this statement, I used to be so close to the Lord. Or you know, I'm not as close to the Lord as I used to be. Or I feel like I'm just not as close to the Lord. Something like that. That's a sad thing because what we're saying is we have slipped back in this sanctification process. We've lost some ground in the old, uh, among old folks, senior adults, years ago, they called that what? Backsliding. We just, we're slipping back. We're losing ground. So here we've talked about this thing of making Christ or living our life under his lordship. So in Romans chapter 10 verse 9, he says to this early New Testament church, and it is critical that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is what? Let's say it together. Okay, in fact, let's just say those three words. You turn to somebody and say, Jesus is Lord. Lord. Okay, that's important. 
Now, He's Lord regardless of whether you and I recognize it and practice it in our life. He is still Lord. And the Bible says, Paul said in Philippians, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess in heaven, on earth, under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he is Lord. But Paul says here that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and do what? Now this is not empty. This is just not going through the motion because Paul says and do what? And believe in your where? In the Greek, it's cardia. We get our word cardiologist. And believe in your heart that God raised him, what? From the dead, you will be, what? Saved. So this is it. Now let's pray and then you can be seated. Our Heavenly Father, again, we pray. And we pray, dear Lord, you'll speak to our hearts. Lord Jesus, we love you. We give you glory. And it's in your name do we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Now, what happens is this, this time of the year, any time, and this is critical, any time you and I make a decision, we make a resolution, we say to ourselves, you know, let me, for an example, I'm going to get, I'm going to get my health back. I'm going to get healthy again. I'm going to start eating right. I'm going to start taking better care of myself. I, I'm going to make a, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a resolution. I'm going to get back where I used to be and I want to, I want to get a lot farther. This year I make a resolution that I get closer to the Lord, that I lose weight, that I get my health back, that I get out of debt, that whatever you want to say your resolution is, you do it. But the reality is that in most of our lives, this time of the year, we honestly, I think we all do, I think we kind of assess life, we look at our life, we think, and we think, you know, I'm going to make some changes. Now, anytime you and I are going to make some improvements, we're going to get vested in this process of sanctification, then we have to understand that hell is listening. We have an enemy. And what happens to most of us this time of the year is by the end of the month, the resolutions that we've made, we've done what? We've forgotten them. They're just, they've just gone by the wayside. Now, I wrote this problem. I, I said this. The problem is, why would the enemy attack us so hard when we're making some attempt toward a self-improvement or toward a resolution? Number one, you can write it down. Once we fail, whatever it is, once we fail, we are not apt to do it again, right? If you make the decision, you know, I'm going to read the Bible through in a year, you get to Leviticus and you go, wow. And by the end of the month, you're no longer reading the Bible through. Has it ever occurred to you that when you sit down, let me ask you, so how many of you fall asleep when you pray? You know, a lot of times we'll say, well, you know, I'm going to pray more. And, and we're into our prayer, Lord Jesus, I just thank you. I give you all the glory and honor, Lord. I just thank you for this day. And Lord, you know I want to get closer to you. I want to get into your word more. I think sometimes Satan is down there, he's singing a lullaby while we're praying. Because the reality is when you and I make a resolution, when we decide we're going to improve some area of our life, we come under spiritual attack. 
The enemy doesn't like it. Now, what's the problem here? Number one, because once we fail in a resolution, we're not apt to do that resolution again. We're not, we don't want to do it again. We feel like a failure. Number two, if we do, we often, even if we decide to try the resolution again, and maybe that's what you're doing this year, we do it with a measure of defeat. If we think we're going to fail at something, then let me ask you something, what's going to happen? We're probably going to fail. You ever watch Biggest Loser? Everybody look this way. Anybody that's watched that program knows this. The problem is not here. What am I pointing at? The problem is not in the stomach. The problem is where? It's in the head. Because the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, cardia, so is he. That's why, that's why Paul said, you and I need to confess the Lord Jesus and believe where? In our hearts, because in the cardia, in the heart, and I'm not saying Kardashian, or whatever, whatever, you know. But in the heart is the control center. So if you and I, if we fail at a resolution, number one, we're not apt to try it again. Number two, if we do try a resolution again, the reality is we go into it with a measure of defeat. Number three, and again, it is critical in John 10.10 that we have an enemy and that enemy comes to, let's say it, kill, steal, destroy. That is his objective in your life, in your marriage, in your home, in your witness, in your walk, in your children. We said last week there's a principle here. Anytime you and I make a commitment toward improving an area of our life, whether it be something as simple and practical as diet or debt, or whether it be something more serious, our spiritual walk and relationship with Christ, our enemy, Satan, is against it. Now, that is critical because what Paul was saying in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul was simply saying that you and I are not in a battle of flesh and blood. We are in a spiritual battle Anytime we make the decision that I'm going to improve this area of my life. Does that make sense? In fact, I wrote this down. I thought about it. If I could title this message, John, I would title this message, Satan's Resolutions in Hell for 2016. Now you may say, well, that's strange. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Screwtape Letters. It is a fascinating book at the spiritual world. And in this book, written by C.S. Lewis, called Screwtape Letters, it is a senior demon who is training a young recruit, a new demon. And there's the dialogue back and forth. And as you read this, you think to yourself, wow, it's as if C.S. Lewis has pulled back the veil, the curtain that hides our enemy and exposes our enemy for what he is, what motivates him, and how it affects our lives. You see, there's a spiritual war. Sheila, when we were raising our kids, had a sign or had a, had a, had a piece of artwork, a picture. And, and the picture on this piece of artwork was this, Reggie. It, it, it's, it's the picture of a man... 
And this man, it's a dad, and this father is kneeling down by the bedside of his child. It's a small child. This child's laying there on the bed, and the father is praying. Behind in kind of a hazy, spiritual-like dimension, there is an angel standing there with a drawn sword. Behind the angel with the drawn sword is a window. And in the background of the window, and you have to look real closely, there is a demonic presence, an enemy. And very quickly you understand that the parent in prayer is in the middle of a spiritual war for the child that they're seeking to raise and the the guard of heaven, the angel of the Lord. The Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, is is literally there between the Father who's between the child and, and, and ultimately who's outside the window. It's the devil. It's the enemy. Now, I don't want to preoccupy this, but I want you to understand this, and I wrote it down. As you and I begin 2016... We have to understand that if we are going to improve our life in the area of the spiritual realm, if we're going to be effective for Christ, if we're going to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and we have committed to that, listen, all hell has been unleashed to do everything that he can to discourage you and defeat you and drive you back into that hole that you've been living in for years. That's your enemy. You know, the danger is sometimes we think when it comes to sanctification, this theological terminology called quietism, some people just think let go and let God. You ever hear people say that? Let go and let God. Well, that sounds good. But the reality is, is that often in the scripture, you and I are called upon to be involved in this. In other words, let me give you some examples. The Bible says purify yourselves. The Bible says bring every thought captive. The Bible says test the spirits. In fact, take a right from Romans and look at James 4 beginning at verse 7. Because you may not believe me, but this is important. Because what happens to you and I sometimes is this. In James chapter 4, picking up at verse 7. And everybody look this way before we read. What we think sometimes is this. We think that I just need to sit quietly and allow God to hagiosmos, to sanctify me through the power and the presence of His Holy Spirit. In other words, we don't see ourselves as involved in this. We're just kind of like a puppet. But the idea here is, is that Paul says things like, and Scripture says, purify yourselves, bring every thought captive. 1 John 4, 1 test the spirits, all of those give the the indication that you and I are involved in this process by which God is conforming us into the image of Christ. In other words, in James chapter 4 verse 7, what does it say? Submit yourselves then to God. Okay, it's in the, uh, it's probably in the imperative, it's command. Hupatasso in the Greek. It means to fall in rank, to get in order. It means to get back. You see, you're like, you and I in 2015, we may have been like a soldier. We were just kind of wandering around, no direction, no purpose. We weren't pray, praying, God, thy will be done, thy 
you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in my life. We were just kind of, we were outside the will of God, living life the way we want to. So Paul says in James 4, 7, he says, Hupatasso, get back where you were in rank. Now, when, a, when, a, when the soldiers, I can remember this, and I've told you this, uh, outside the barracks, you would have this mean voice that would say, fall in. And he didn't listen. Uh, Sergeant, I'll be there in a minute. Let me tidy up here. Uh, Sergeant, I'm, I'm, I'm finishing up a few things and then I'll be out there. It wasn't none of that. When they said fall in, listen, you were pulling your drawers up. If you were sitting on the pot, it didn't matter, buddy. You fell in at that moment. And immediately when you got there, you had your feet a certain distance. You had your hands back. You had your chest out. You had your head straight forward just like this. The only thing you did, now watch this, you turned and you dressed it right and you covered down 40 inches all around. It was not only a song, it was the discipline of a soldier. He knew exactly how far he was to be from the people next to him, on either side of him, and he knew how to dress it right so that when the sergeant looked down the rank, you were all lined chest exactly straight. Paul says, submit. He's saying to you and I, submit. Hupatasso, fall into rank, get back to where you need to be. He says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil. And he will what? You can't resist until you submit. And he will flee from you, come near to God. What is all of this? This is not quietism, this theological opinion that I just let go and let God. Yes, there's yielding to the Holy Spirit, but God is saying to you and I, if there's going to be some real change in 2016, you're going to have to get involved in this. You're going to have to be a part of this process. So, no, I said, Paul, but it's James. James is saying to the early believers here, he's saying, listen, submit, hupatasso. Then he says to God, resist the devil. He'll flee from you. And then he says, come near to God. You see, it's kind of like the old man, the old woman, they're riding in an old pickup truck. And she's pressed up against one side, he's driving the truck. She's sitting there griping and complaining. And maybe, ladies, you're like this. She's griping and complaining. She says, you know, I don't understand. We used to be so close. We sat right up under each other. Uh, You know, we were just so much in love. There was just such a warmth and a vibrance and a passion in this truck. I just don't understand. The old man looked at her and said, I ain't moved. Now think about that for a minute. He hadn't moved. She was the one that kept inching farther and farther away until finally she was sitting on the other side of the vehicle. You see, the reality is in your life and in my life, as we look at 2016, we sometimes might hear God say, I didn't move. I haven't gone anywhere. I'm right where I've always been. And and James was saying, listen, when you and I submit, when we come under the authority of Jesus Christ, the sovereign guiding hand of His Holy Spirit, we begin to resist the devil. We begin to stand against the devil because we're under the authority of Jesus Christ. The devil will flee from us. And then we begin to draw near to God. We begin to get back in a personal, intimate fellowship, kononia, with Jesus Christ that we once had. You remember in Revelation when the letter to the church at Ephesus 
And Jesus said, I tell you what you need to tell Ephesus. You need to tell them to return to their first love. You know, people sometimes will say, what's the key to a vibrant marriage? Let me tell you what the key to a vibrant marriage is. Are you listening? The key to a vibrant marriage is when you continue to practice and do what you did when you fell in love. That's it. I look at Caleb and Molly back there. They've been married now how long? How many months now? Seven months. Caleb's already a good husband. He said, Molly, seven months. Let me tell you what the key is to their marriage. The key to their marriage is to continually do what they did that caused them to fall in love with each other. And when they quit doing that, they will begin to drift apart. That's it. You know what Jesus, you know what James was telling these early believers? He was saying, listen, you and I need to draw near to God. We need, first of all, to submit. Come under the authority of Jesus Christ. Get back in rank where we're supposed to be. He said we're to resist the devil. We can only do that by the word of God. And the devil will flee from us. And then he says we've got to draw near to God so that God will draw near to us. Everybody listen, this is not popular preaching, but I'm telling you the truth. God did not move in your life, you moved. God did not move in my life, I moved. And God is simply saying, you're the one that's got to move back. You and I need to understand in Luke 15, when the prodigal left the home and he left the love of the father, the father didn't go chasing after him. The father brought it, listen, life, sin, and and his rebellious Spirit brought him to the point of desperation and he repented and he said, I've got to go back to my father and I've got to get this straight. Listen, the father was looking for him. God's looking for you today. The Lord's looking for you today. But you you and I are going to have to return to what we once were and where we have drifted away. Does that make sense? Well, that's critical. That's critical. And... um, you know, Sheila, uh, uh, my, my birthday present was late for her. Her birthday was January the 5th. I didn't get her a present until a few days later, but I knew what I wanted to get her. I went and I bought her a good journal. I bought her a real nice leather journal. It's got a little tab and all kinds of little things on it. It's got that smell, you know, that leather. And I looked at Sheila and I said this. I said, you've never kept a journal And I said, but at 59 years of age, I've heard so much wisdom come out of you through the years. Sometimes Sheila would say things about our kids or about our grandkids, about life, about ministry, about the church. And I would think to myself, my God, where's a pen? Let me write that down. And I I told Sheila, I, I, I actually wrote my love note to her, Kathy, on the back of the receipt from the... uh, from, I think from the purchase that I'd made. You know, I always want to throw in there how much I paid. This is not a cheap journal. <laughs> Cost me nearly 30 bucks. You better use it. But I wrote, a, I wrote a love note to her on the back of the receipt that Molly and Caleb, this is what I'm talking about. We've been doing that now for about the 40 years we've known each other. I wrote the love note on the back of the receipt And I simply said, there's too much wisdom that comes out of you that's getting lost. One day, and I, Emily, I said this, I said, one day Emma Grace will have a granddaughter. And that granddaughter will look at her grandmother, Emma Grace, 
who right now is about three years of age, and she will say, Grandmother, tell me, who is this? And Emma Grace will say, this was my grandmother's journal. And she'll flip over there and she'll say, on this day, this is what my grandmother wrote. And it may be a timely word for your great granddaughter that you may never see. Some of you in this room need to journal. Some of you in this room, Stan and Heidi just had a beautiful little boy. Sheila came home yesterday. She said, Abel is such a beautiful little boy. She said, I love Heidi. She said, Heidi said, I think I may try to come to church tomorrow. And Sheila said, look, you're in too much pain. You stay home and get well. But this may be a good time for Stan to honestly take a long, hard look and say, you know, for the sake of Phoebe, for the sake of Abel, it's time that I start practicing journaling. It may be for RJ and Abigail. You see, sometimes, Ledge is reading the, and I said this last week, or I said it in my blog, Ledge is reading the life of Teddy Roosevelt. He made this statement, he says, Teddy Roosevelt journaled everything he did every day. And I've watched Ledge at times share things about the life of Teddy Roosevelt, and he would say, and I could tell what he was thinking, God, I want that quality in my life. Let me give you three things before we close, and you're going, oh my God, three things. Let me give you three things to hinder sanctification and lordship living real quickly, and then we'll close. God's resolution is that you stand against these three three things happening in 2016. If they happen, then you're going to lose ground. If Satan has resolutions for 2016, this is what he wants to do. Number one, real quickly, Satan wants to sear your conscience. Okay? Now, Paul talked about this, and if there's a resolution in hell... It is that you and I sear our conscience. Now, what do you mean by that? Sheila, let me give you an example. When Sheila cooks a roast, she will take the roast, and she'll have an eyebrow roast, and she'll put it in a skillet, and she'll start rolling around. She'll hold it up on the end. She'll flip it over. She'll roll it around. What's she doing, Marge? She's searing that meat. Why do you sear the meat? Okay, you want to seal in what? You want to seal in the juices. It makes, it makes for a better piece of meat. Now you're getting hungry. So when you sear something, you're sealing something in and you're sealing other stuff out. Now everybody listen. What Satan wants you and I to do is sear our conscience. Now what do you mean by that? Well, anything bad... He wants to seal it in. If you've got unforgiveness, bitterness, you've got animosity, you've got anger, you've got some attitudes or some behaviors, you've got some things in your life that are clinging to you, he wants to seal it in so that it stays there. So that you act a year from now like you're acting right now. He wants to seal out what? The presence and the power of God's Holy Spirit affecting your life and dealing with those things that are sealed in and changing. That's what the enemy wants to do. Everybody with me? Does that make sense? Number two, he wants to silence 
the Holy Spirit. So he wants to sear your conscience. He wants to silence the Holy Spirit. And real quickly, you've heard me use this scripture a lot of times. Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. Do not put out the Holy Spirit. So here you are. You've made a commitment. I'm going to go to church more. I'm going to start reading my Bible. I'm going to spend more time in prayer. You've started making some resolutions. All of a sudden, down there in hell, man, there is a spiritual war to discourage you, to defeat you, to beat you back down. It's wanting to... Hell, your enemy wants to seal in that bad behavior, seal out the indwelling and the presence and the power of God's Holy Spirit. Your enemy also wants to, in essence, you heard it, he wants to silence the Holy Spirit. He wants to put out the Spirit's ability to affect your life and these changes you're trying to make. Because what happens is you and Christ, though two are walking together, they're in agreement. You're walking together. So you don't want to silence God's Holy Spirit. I wrote this question down. Has 2015 been a year you went from God doing something great, a blazing fire, to just smoke, smoking. There's no heat. There's no light. Now you're just smoking. You've got a, you've got a wet blanket that's been put over the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is being silenced in your life. Listen, everybody listen closely. Do you hear the Lord like you did a year ago? Five years ago. Let me, get, let me ask you this. Listen to me. A, Old people will come up to a preacher back when I was young and they'll make this statement. They don't preach like they used to when I was a boy. They don't sing songs like they used to when I was a boy. You know what the answer to that is, don't you? You don't listen like you were when you were a boy. Problem's not with the one behind the pulpit. The problem's not with the one behind the guitar. Problem's not the one who's breaking the word or leading you in worship. The problem is not our heart. The problem is your heart. You don't hear like you used to. Something's died inside of you. You've gotten cold. You've gotten distance from the Lord. You're not where you used to be. The enemy wants to sear you. The enemy wants to silence the presence of the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, and you can go ahead and stand... The enemy wants to sorrow the Holy Spirit. Paul said this in Ephesians 4. He starts at verse 29. He says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. And then he tells us in verse 30 through about 32, Paul tells the church at Ephesus, he says, listen, don't sorrow God's Holy Spirit. You see, the enemy's resolution in your life and in my life, what the enemy wants to do in this month of transition is you're trying to maybe take back some some control of your life and you're wanting to take, you know, once again. And when I say that, I mean under under the control of the Holy Spirit. Because the word field means to be under the control. So you're saying, I want to get my health back. Well, what that means is that you and I, along with God's Holy Spirit, are involved in this together. In other words, let me give you an example. Don't give any occasion for sin. 
well, if I, if I have pr- problems with pornography and I've got Hell's Box Office, HBO, Cinemax, Showtime, Playboy Channel, then my friend, listen, I've set myself up. I've given an occasion for the enemy to get into my life. So I don't want to sear the Holy I don't want to sear my conscience. I don't want to silence the Holy Spirit. And listen, above all else, I do not want to sorrow God's Holy Spirit because Paul said to grieve the Holy Spirit is to bring sorrow and heartache and grief to the heart of God. Hey, I'm not, listen, I'm not worried. I want you to hear this. If you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this. I'm not worried about Christ denying me. You see, the enemy may get in your head, make you question your salvation and all of that. I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about Jesus Christ denying me at the judgment. I'm not worried about him denying me now. I tell you what I'm worried about. I'm worried about his disapproval, his displeasure. I don't want to make him sad. I want, I want, I want the Holy Spirit to take such control of my life. I want to live so much under the Lordship of Jesus Christ that we're walking so intimately in this process of sanctification. I want Him to be pleased. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's the idea of being pleased. God said to Jesus, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I want Him to be pleased. That's what it's about. I, I close with this. Yesterday I was listening to the biography, the life story of Elvis Presley. It was talking about, uh, Elvis Presley walked in, it's still in Tupelo. He walked into a store one day and he was going to buy something and he didn't have enough money. And the proprietor looked at him and he said, uh, he said, well son, you ain't got enough money. He said, I tell you what you got enough money for, you got enough money for a guitar. How about buy you a guitar? And so Elvis Presley reluctantly bought him a guitar. And that guitar took him down a course. It took him down a journey. And, and one, one, one individual made this statement, said they, they, they remember one time that Elvis Presley was sick. He had, the, he had the flu. And it came time when they do that 2,000, whatever it want, or You know what they do? I don't know what it is. Uh, you know, they do that big build-up, you know, where the, you know, and Elvis Presley's getting ready to come out and walk out into the light. And they start all that up, and Elvis is nowhere to be found. And a guy said he went. He said, Elvis Presley, he said he went to find him. He said he was in the bathroom, and he said he was on his knees, and he was crying, and he was praying. And these, these men and women went on to say, they said about Elvis Presley, they said he was always haunted by the Holy Spirit. He was always haunted by God. Rex Humbard said this. He said that he and Ma Humbard, they called her Ma, Ma Humbard, hum, Humbard. He was a TV preacher from years ago. They went to a show one time and Elvis put them on the front row. He said afterwards, this old couple that had given their life to the Lord, he called them back to the dressing room. And Ma Hubbard looked at him and said this. Now she's famous. People like some of our senior adults will know immediately who I'm talking about. She said she looked at him and she said, Elvis, he had done this tremendous show in Las Vegas. She said, Elvis, she said, you're my bell sheep. Bell sheep, what does that mean? And she said, well, a bell sheep 
is the sheep they would hang the bell around and wherever that sheep went, the other sheep would follow. She said, you know, Elvis, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. I want you to listen. She said at that point, he, he began to weep uncontrollably. He could not be consoled. They both wrapped their arms around him. They prayed for him. And finally, Ma, this, this old woman looked at him and said, Elvis, she got down there. Here's the king of rock. Here's a multi-millionaire that has everything that the world could offer who's weeping uncontrollably. And she got down, she looked at him and she said, Elvis, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You're the bell sheep. You're the leader. God has a will and a direction. You can be grateful to the Lord if you will just listen to this. Sell out to him. What she was saying is, Elvis, if you will make him Lord... He'll use you greatly. Can I say something to you before we pray? If you will allow the Lord to come into your life, if you're not a believer, give your life to Christ today. Come down, take Reggie's hand, take my hand and say, I've received Christ as my Lord and Savior and I want to be baptized. I want to make it public. Or if you're here today and you've slipped away, it's time to draw back close to the Lord. You're in a spiritual battle. Don't let the enemy win. Don't let the enemy win. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. And Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for your presence and your power. We thank you, dear Lord, for the simple childlike faith and trust that brings us into the family of God. It's not because of anything that we've done. It's not because of anything that we've not done. We are saved by grace God's riches at Christ's expense. We are saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God. It's not of works. It's not of anything that we've done. And we praise you for that. And Lord, this time of the year is so easy to look and assess our lives and say, Lord, I want to be different. I'm not happy where I'm at. I'm not happy with the progress right now in my life, Lord. There's been a lot of defeat, a lot of discouragement. Lord, I've been beat up in a relationship. Lord, I've been beat up by debt. Lord, I'm just out of shape and I've just finally, I've just given up. I don't even care anymore about how I look. Lord, I've borrowed everything. I don't, dear Lord, my life is in such shambles. May we hear the gentle voice of a loving Savior who says, I know, but I love you. And you and I, we can help you right now win victory in these areas. I'll heal you from that relationship. I will help you with that debt. I will help you with your diet. We will get you not only physically healthy, but I'll help you with your spiritual health. We're going to make your prayer life better than it's ever been in 2016. We're going to find out and discover my will and purpose for your life. This is going to be a great year. Now, I want everybody to look this way. I've got four kids and 13 grandkids. You know, my only desire in 2016, that it be the best year of their life. That it be a good year. 
Let me tell you, you have a loving Heavenly Father. He wants only your best and my best in 2016. It may, there may be some suffering. There may be some pain. But He says, we're going to get through that too. This is going to be a great year spiritually for you. But Jesus Christ says, now let's, as in that, in the movie, the, the Jesus movie where he looks at Peter and he says in the boat, he says, now let's go change the world. Let's change you and we'll change the world. And all God's people said, Amen.